millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Battlefield, part of Waterloo Remembered. The next extract is read by Napoleonic reenactor Robert Wilde Evans, and comes from the recollections of Private Thomas Jeremiah. Robert Wilde Evans, reading an extract from the memoirs of Private Thomas Jeremiah, 1st Battalion, 23rd, Royal Welsh Fusiliers, Regiment of Foot. I've chosen this passage from the memoirs of Private Thomas Jeremiah of the 23rd Foot for several reasons. Firstly, um, I speak as a Welshman by birth, and say I feel a great affinity to those Welsh soldiers who participated in the Great Battle of Waterloo and what they achieved. Of course, there were several famous Welsh, person Welsh personalities involved in the conflict and the action, um, the 23rd being the main Welsh regiment there. Uh, Sir Thomas Picton is also a character that particularly springs to mind. Secondly, I've chosen this account because it's an eyewitness from a private soldier. Now, so many, of course, are from officers who are more likely to recount their actions and put pen to paper. So private soldiers are a little bit more unusual, and it's an interesting look into how the ordinary man on the field likely thought and felt at the time. Not just about the battle, of course, but in general about the Napoleonic Wars, about famous individuals of different nations, about how his fellow soldiers likely thought of the French, and a, it offers a very much a private soldier's eye view of that famous battle. Now, of course, this account does come with some historical pitfalls and facts that are not really true. Um, there are some generous doses of jingoism and national pride amongst it all, which possibly, with the passage of time, would have become a little more coloured and a little more colourful. Uh, but nevertheless, it's an account of that 
world-known and famous battle that really does speak to me. And finally, to end on a light-hearted note, um, I am a Napoleonic reenactor, and one of the groups that I work quite closely with at Napoleonic reenactment events is that which recreates the 23rd Royal Welsh Fusiliers during the Napoleonic Wars. And they are a great bunch of guys um, who do a fantastic job of doing justice to their forebears in the original regiment. And um, so I, I recount this original passage um, as a little tribute to them. At about 10 o'clock on Sunday, the 18th day of June, 1815, the whole of the Allied forces under the command of the Duke of Wellington were drawn up in order of battle in three lines, extending something short of two miles. The sight was at this time truly grand and imposing. It would be folly in me to attempt to describe the glorious sight, all rung at this moment when all was silent as the grave, not a word or whisper to be heard, all waiting for the signal from our noble commander. About this time, the light infantry of all the front line were ordered to the advance and cover the front of the line. This done immediately, there appeared, coming over the opposite heights, a line of tourailleurs, or French riflemen. Both lines were now descending and approaching each other from their respective hills, and in the valleys between the two armies they met and commenced skirmishing. The French vedettes were then approaching quite fast, when the Marquis of Anglesey ordered our light cavalry to counteract the French vedettes. This, you may depend, is a very handsome sight, while we were anxiously looking at those skirmishers as far as the eye could see each side. We could see coming over the opposite hill the tops of lances quivering in the air, and the men and horses appeared and showed us a long line of Polish lancers, supported by immense bodies of cuirassiers, horse grenadiers, light cavalry of all description. By this time our officers of the army thought that it would be a cavalry affair, and that we infantry would be as mere spectators, but all was not done yet. All our cavalry were held in readiness, but we were soon undeceived by seeing immense columns of infantry coming over the hills supported by a great force of artillery and cavalry. By this time the skirmishing was very hot, and the French began to throw round shot at our columns and reinforce their skirmishers, our light infantry began to give way on all sides, and the French kept pouring fresh troops into the plains. Hitherto our army were lying down on the ground to avoid the shot and shell. The French seemed to be quite awake to the British being in square, and threw shot and shell into our columns, so that our colonel ordered us to form line, so as re to reduce the chance of hitting us. At this time the French cavalry approached, and galloped up to our very bayonets. One circumstance I shall ever remember was a French regiment of cavalry headed by a bold and intrepid officer. He rode up in front of his regiment and when within a few yards of our front company he exclaimed in English, Come on, you English cowards! This he said several times and this irritated our soldiers and our noble colonel who was not one to put up with a language of this description and from a Frenchman who we were taught to despise as our natural enemy for many years. Our colonel seemed a little irritated by the bravado of this audacious soldier and immediately gave the word, Fusiliers, forward! This cheerful order was obeyed with alacrity. We moved in close column until we arrived at the summit of the hill, from whence we could see the whole of the French army moving down in dark black masses. We were scarcely arrived in our position on the hill 
when the above-mentioned officer came at the head of his brigade of cavalry of horse grenadiers. He made up to our very bayonets under a most tremendous fire of musketry. At the same time, they drove in the 23rd Light Dragoons in some confusion on the second line. The both 23rds, horse and foot, were together all this day to bear witness of each other's valour. At this we expected to be attacked by the infantry, who were manoeuvring in front of us, who we thought to pursue. Now the same dragoons headed by the intrepid general came again at full charge. The French advanced with the most speed and corresponding fury, and charged with horrible yells. They passed us after failing to break into our square, and was very nearly annihilating one of our regiments, who were all composed of inexperienced soldiers. However, this second charge was beaten off, as well as the first, and now we were to prepare for the third, which was not long coming. It appeared that as long as this brigade and its daring commander occupied the plains in our front, that there would be no peace for us. So we were to a man anxious to lay their commander low in the dust. At this time, the enemy's infantry were manoeuvring in great force in our front, and we expected a serious attack on the whole of our right. An extensive line of infantry were advancing in quick time towards us when we began to form line. They gave us a volley and immediately wheeled into open columns, and under cover of the smoke which their fire occasioned, their cavalry came at full gallop with dreadful yells, and, but for the maturity of our colonel and officers, we should to a man have been cut to pieces before we could form a square, as like the 42nd on the 16th of June, who were severely cut to pieces for not forming square in time. This third and last charge for this desperate French fire-eater, for just as he arrived in front of our square, he was shot dead. I had the satisfaction to see him lie wounded on the ground within two yards of me. He had received three balls. I was one myself who fired at this hero. For a hero indeed he proved himself, and had the whole of the French generals and bands being so determined on conquest and victory as he was, I questioned to think, with some justice, whether the House of Hanover or a Corsican would hold the reign of government in old England. With this man's fall fell likewise the courage of his soldiers, who though they charged they were less audacious than formerly, in front they showed themselves twice more after death of their brave commander. This brigade was relieved by a body of cuirassiers, who annoyed us very much during the remainder of the day. The first effort of the French was on our right to force the passage to Brussels, but after repeated charges and displaying the most desperate valour, they were met with equal courage and bravery by the British, who baffled all their exertions. When they found their attempts failed on the left, they made a desperate attack on our left, with immense forces and with such fury that it appeared that nothing short of victory would satisfy their desperate courage. Several of our regiments, staggered by this dreadful onset of the French, led on by the celebrated French General Lobau. Victory seemed more than once to have appeared at the French standards. Where she had lay, late so gay remained glorious, in spite of the united efforts of Russia, Austria, Prussia, Italy, Holland, Belgium, Switzerland and Sweden, for more than fifteen years, and for the first time the fickle goddess seemed to tremble in the scales, and seemed willing to decide with the sons of the ocean, in spite of the determined valour of the British, to repulse the French, who forced themselves headlong over a hedge that the English had made use of for a covering, 
and drove the whole of our left wing at the point of the bayonet. The eagle eye of our commander saw the critical condition of our left wing and not only ordered the whole of the reserve to advance to support their comrades. The whole of the reserve marched in close columns of divisions within half a mile of us. These were headed by one of our best generals, who, when all was ready, rode on his horse in the front rank, his hat in his hand, and gave the word forward in treble quick. This indeed was the grandest sight I ever saw from the hill where we stood, gazing at the havoc the French were making among our left wing. We turned our heads towards the valleys where we beheld 16,000 men coming up in double quick and the charging steps. When they came to about 40 yards of the French, they opened a most tremendous fire, which staggered the French in their turn. It would require a better penman than me to describe this melee. The British saw that it was no use to waste their ammunition and time on them, and they had recourse to the never-failing weapon in the British soldier's hand, the bayonet. When we came to measure steel with them, they faced about, the French not yet dismayed that they brought up deep masses of French troops. But at this critical moment, Sir Thomas Picton came up next his fighting second division and threw the front line of the enemy upon the second. And this, at this moment, the, the British cavalry under Sir William Ponsonby seized the favourable moment of confusion among the enemy and thundered among the enemy and cut them to pieces and they became an inexorable confusion. At this moment, when victory was completely wrested from the French, a large body of French cavalry came to check the retreat of their beaten comrades. Sir William Ponsonby, leading his cavalry, was speared by a Polish lancer through the body, and England, while victory smiled on her banners as she met a great reverse by the loss of the bravest and best generals, Sir Thomas Picton, a man whose worth is too well known to make any comment on his character. A general of a soldier, he was our commander, right-hand man and the talisman of the army before him. The French, finding their utmost efforts battled on the left, determined another attack on our right. Deep masses of combined horse and foot and artillery were seen manoeuvring down towards Hougoumont. This great force was headed by Count Rey. They amounted to upwards of 36,000 men who were determined to force their passage to Brussels. This attack was made with the most determined bravery and repulsed with equal courage, but a dreadful expenditure of human life. The attack on Hougoumont is too well described by Sir Walter Scott and others for me to attempt it. The flanks of this sweeping charge reached our regiment. The dreadful onset, so beautifully described by one of our poets, from roaring guns, the bellowing flames, whose throats of brass the works of death proclaimed, from bursting shells that excavate the ground and like hurling thunder spread destruction around. And on the heights along our right, at large the trembling earth announced their coming charge before the sword, plied by the cuirassiers or Ulan's lance, whole thousands disappear. From mangled heaps, the soaking blood distills, and down the slope runs thick in crimson rills, where the fields of verdant tincture were, now groans with death and floats a sea of gore. But on the heights along our right, at large the trembling earth announced the coming charge, their steel-clad troops, resistless in their course destruction, 
sped with more than mortal lance in vain. Our guns their advancing columns tear and vomit death on each approaching square. In vain their ranks are by our sabres hewed, in vain the ground is with their blood imbued, as when a torrent with resistless sway down some high mount precipitates its way, nor trees nor rocks its flawless force oppose, each still moving foaming to the valley's floor, so rush the French o'er their companions dead. Our light troops routed and desola desolation spread, as I said that the flank of the columns of attack reached our regiment, whose iron ranks stood so firm, as although they might kill us, they could never rout us, as this trying moment our brave colonel told us to be steady and wait well for his word of command, and which was strictly obeyed until they were within thirty or forty paces of us, when we opened a most destructive fire which straggled their advancing columns. And whilst our brave and beloved colonel was reminding us of our former exploits on the peninsula, he received his mortal wound, just as he saw his commands obeyed. It required all the attention of our officers to restrain our men, for, for they were burning with revenge for the loss of the most beloved commander who had on so many actions led the regiment to victory and in conquest in former campaigns by reference to Lord Wellington's dispatches from the peninsula. You will see his personal wealth, as well as his, his most distinguished character as a soldier. He was after his death conveyed to his native country to be interred in his own native city of Worcester, when every man in the regiment gave a day's pay to raise a monument suitable to the magnanimity of the spirit that once inhabited the corpse of that brave Ellis. The 14th Regiment was nearly annihilated by the desperate charge on our right wing. However, this confusion was only momentary, for they immediately rallied into regular formation under a most murderous fire, which made a considerable havoc amongst them. But stimulated by the fine example of the Welsh Fusiliers, they resumed their position in the line from whence they were so nearly routed. At this critical juncture, the attention of our brave Wellington was directed to our right wing, which was all but destroyed by those chosen cohorts of the French Imperial Guard, and led on by their most distinguished generals, whose names have been a terror to all Europe for more than 15 years, and whose ability and bravery in the field was inferior to none, their master, Napoleon alone, excepted. However, notwithstanding their invincibility, they found for the first time their victorious career put to a stop by the most al almost matchless and commensurate ability of our commander and the able assistance of his brave officers together with the native courage of his soldiers which rendered that day so famous in history that the determined bravery and courage that was displayed on that day will serve as a stimulus to encourage the youths of old England to follow the example of those who conquered the invincible legions of France on the savage and far-famed field of Waterloo. That was Napoleonic reenactor Robert Wilde Evans reading from the recollections of Private Thomas Jeremiah. Stay tuned to the Napoleon Assist, where more instalments of the Voices from the Battlefield series will be released throughout the day. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.